Hi everyone, I'm Matt Blair, and this is the Conservation Storytelling Podcast. Welcome to the shared platform where we have conversations with a diverse range of field-based voices and talk conservation. Join us as we share ideas, create awareness, and fulfill curiosity about conservation in Africa. Welcome to the community. It's great to have you here. Before I tell you about my guest this week, today is the 15th of May, 2020. I want to take a moment to acknowledge the endangered species of this world during this crazy time of COVID-19 with a quote from the project leader of the Gonorizo Conservation Trust, Mr. Hugo van der Westhuizen. And he says that, COVID-19 is teaching us that we take nature for granted. Together with clean water and air, it seems we need to lose something before we realize its value. Nature cannot be recreated once it is gone. My guest this week is Simon Capon from the Gonorizo Conservation Trust in Zimbabwe. As an ecologist and a consultant, Simon's objective in the GCT as business development manager is to focus on the business of conservation, which he talks more about in this episode. Some of the key takeaways from my conversation with Simon in this episode include how the GCT takes a holistic approach to their conservation model, which follows the principles of their five C's, and how local tourism could pull them and other conservation areas through what can only be described as a tricky year. Simon, welcome to the series and thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing there? Yeah, all good. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on, on, this, uh, on this episode of yours. Um, yeah, we're excited. Uh, it'll be good to have a chat. Simon, please can you give the audience a little bit of an insight into who Gonorizo Conservation Trust is and a little bit behind your history and affiliation with Gonorizo? Thanks, Matt. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Gonorizo Conservation Trust um, is a partnership. It's a co-management model that was formed between the Zim Parks and Wildlife Management Authority and the Frankfurt Zoological Society. Um, there's been there's been a lot of support in the past from the Frankfurt Zoological Society to Zim Parks, particularly in Gonorizo. And, you know, this, this co-management model, which was formed in 2017, was really just taking another step in that partnership um, and and cementing that relationship and and really building building on on the development of Gonorizo. So yeah, it's been it's been a, a really good partnership, um, and the park has really been going from strength to strength. But obviously, some strange times we're in now. But you know, it's all about these partnerships when we come into difficult times. So Simon, you've been in the Gonorizo vicinity for a number of years. How long have you been in the area and how long has your involvement with Gonorizo been? Yeah, so I've, I've been working, I suppose, down in that area for about uh, 10 or 11 years now um, in the conservation space, originally as an ecologist and, and a consultant. Um, and then I came on board specifically with Gonorizo um, at the beginning of last year. Um, more on the on the business side of of conservation and and really looking at how how we fund conservation. A little bit more context into the Gonorizo Conservation Trust. Can you expand on some of the key areas of what what you guys are involved with in the park um, with your management agreement with national parks? Yeah, so I mean we obviously uh, through Gonorizo Conservation Trust, uh, park, the Zim Parks is integrally involved in what we do in in the park. Um, 
and our our strategy for the park is really based on what we call internally our five C's. So those being conservation, which is really, I suppose, the underlying asset. That's really why we're there in the national park. Um, and then communities, um, because really we can't manage the park sustainably without including communities into these things. They're part of the bigger conservation landscape. So we have conservation communities, uh, connectivity to, to other areas, our neighboring areas and other areas within, within the Great Limpopo Transfrontier Park. And then the commercial side, obviously, that we use to, to fund the park. And then lastly, the corporate governance, which is really how we do our business and, and what really gives us, puts the trust in us to, to get the job done in the park. So, yeah, I'd say that that's our main strategy in Gona Reserve. Uh, we try and really ad adapt, adopt a, a holistic strategy to conservation where we can balance uh, the resource protection with the social side and the economic side in the park. Um, and we believe that's probably the most sustainable way. We were very fortunate enough um, last year to come and spend some time with you and identify with your model quite a bit. And with those five C's, there's a lot to there's a lot to engage on at any one time and they're all heavily reliant on each other, as you said, in a holistic manner. We're gonna go straight into well, how the Gonorizo Conservation Trust has been affected by COVID-19 and what changes, mm. well, let's talk about the challenges first. When, when this COVID-19 all, all started out, um, I think we did all underestimate it to a certain extent and, and you know, we're seeing now the major effects it's having globally um, on economies worldwide. I think for us, obviously, um, in conservation uh, and related to that tourism, tourism seems to be the industry that that's hit almost hardest from this from this COVID nineteen and all the travel restrictions around that. Um, you know, for us, tourism contributes a significant part of our budget each year and, and really allows us to do, do a lot of work in protecting the park. And, you know, since the, the lockdown measures and the restrictions and everything from, from this pandemic, we haven't, we've obviously closed down the park to tourism and we haven't had any tourists coming to the park, which, which is a big problem for us because although, um, you know, we've closed the park, the business of conservation doesn't stop. You know, we still have to protect the park. Uh, we still have to employ people. We still have the costs that go that go with that. So, you know, that that's really been a big hit for us uh, for us in the park. Um, so, you know, we've had to we've had to adjust our operations a lot. We've had to look at halting um, a lot of infrastructure projects in the park and and focusing funds uh, more on things like staff welfare and, and making sure we can continue to employ people in the park. You know, one of our focuses in Gonorizo is really employing people from the local community around, around the park. So I think about 85 odd percent of our staff come from communities directly adjacent to the park. And, you know, just, just through that employment, um, we can contribute back to, to the local economy around the park and really, I suppose, you know, a healthy local economy in a way uh, contributes to a healthy park. And so we, you know, we, we believe that we've got to continue as far as we can um, helping 
employ people from the local community and that means obviously shifting a lot of our funding and delaying some of the projects that we were planning for this year yeah because some of those those communities in the in the south of the country there especially adjacent to Gonorrhea so it's very marginalized land and it's a very it's a tough area to make a living so I'm pretty sure majority of those community members rely on Gunnar Reserve for quite a lot of um, support, livelihood-wise. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a it's ecologically a Region Five area in Zimbabwe, so very erratic rainfall, um, very hot, dry climate, um, and obviously coupled with with things like human wildlife conflict. You know, life is life is very difficult in this area. So. You know the livelihood options are are limited in a way, and so you know for us in Gonorrhea, it places a lot of pressure on us to to support the communities as far as we can. Um, and you know if we're looking at at uh, you know these these conservation landscapes, we've really got to got to acknowledge that the communities play a huge role in these conservation landscapes, broader than just the boundaries of Gonorrhea. So. You know, for us, um, communities are integral integral part of what we do. I know a lot of a lot of people talk about it all the time, um, but yeah, we we really consider that element as as almost like one of the legs of the chair that hold up hold up Gonorrhea and the Gonorrhea Conservation Trust. In these times, especially when we we touched briefly on on your funding for your programs and your projects and obviously reallocating resources. If you, if you can give us an idea, you know, apart from the tourism aspect, how have your donors responded in terms of financing your, your projects? I suppose it's, it's a difficult one because, um, you know, we have, we have various different donors. We have very committed donors to the park. But obviously, everyone's hit by the same uh, pandemic at the moment, and so we are seeing um, some potential scalebacks of our donor funding, um, which is going to impact on us in the longer term. And so we're really going to have to think hard about how we prioritise our funding from here going forward. Um, I think so many conservation areas are in the same boat at the moment, and. It's going to be a hard year, but I think we we probably will be able to make some sort of recovery uh, later in the year if if restrictions are eased and and we can reopen up the park in a safe manner uh, on the tourism front. And you know, I think on the donor side, we will continue to see the commitment that we've seen in the past, but maybe to a slightly lesser extent. Um, so you know, we are concerned about it, but you know, we've got to carry on. You know, as as I said, you know, even though we don't have tourists visiting the park, you know, the the real work that we're doing for conservation has to carry on, and and so you know, that's that's just where we are. So Simon, um, there was a quote recently from Hugo van der Westhuizen, who's the project leader of the Gonorrhea Conservation Trust, in which he says, um, conservation cannot be built and maintained only on tourism income or donor funding. And I think we see the landscape of conservation changing, not just in Africa, but globally. How, mm. how are we going to adjust this model in the future? I mean, a lot of our conservation efforts rely massively on these two sectors to provide funding going mm. forward. Is there mm. conversation in place in which 
you know, there's basically going to be more exploration around how to approach conservation. Yeah, well, I think it's it's been a... I think conservationists have, have known it for a long time. Obviously, we've never come into a crisis like this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-century type crisis. But at the same time, it, it allows us to really think of how do we fund conservation sustainably? And, you know, a reliance on tourism alone, people are realizing that when you have problems like this, that really now impacts on your ability to actually protect those areas. And similarly, if you were to rely solely on donor funding. So I think the main challenge for us now is looking at how we can diversify the income streams to, to these protected areas so that they can be funded through these, these very difficult times. So, I mean, it's probably the golden question, um, but there's a huge amount of, of talk about it, particularly at the moment, um, on how we fund conservation sustainably and how we bring other other um, funding mechanisms into the mix um, to to create a more sustainable way of financing conservation. I suppose it just comes back to business principles. If you've got um, a single supplier, um, it's a big risk to your business. You know, if you if you can now diversify your income streams, um, you have a much more sustainable and stable model. Um, and I think that's really where we need to go in conservation. Leading into my next question, which is more the long-term recovery plan from the impact of COVID-19, is mm. are we going to see an approach much like Botswana has traditionally treated their tourism, where they try to have low impact, high impact through funding, but low impact foot traffic tourism, if that makes sense, um, where basically our destination management model is going to change completely. Yeah, I think, I mean, that, that's a, it's a difficult topic um, to, to really talk to. But I think, you know, what, what we'll see particularly coming out of this, um, this pandemic, well, what, what I believe we'll probably see is we'll probably see a phased approach where the initial recovery will come from local tourism. Um, and essentially, you know, our national parks are our own national heritage, our natural heritage, and you know, really, they they should be celebrated by by local people and really enjoyed by the local people. So, you know, I think we'll see our initial recovery coming from that, uh, particularly obviously on the tourism side, and then and then probably looking more at the regional market and the international market may take some time to recover, maybe even up to you know three years to to recover um we don't really know what what access or travel is going to look like um coming out of this pandemic so really for us we're going to have to have to rely on on what we can from from local tourism and and that's going to play a big role in in what what we do you know so i mean the the model of of high-end uh you know low foot traffic uh, tourism it's worked very well for for a place like uh, like Botswana um, it's it's relied on partnerships between um, the Botswana government and and private sector players and I think it, it has really worked well for them but I think you know when we're talking about conservation and 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 tourism and things like that I think that there's probably not a one-size-fits-all and we kind of 
have to adapt to to each area and really kind of i suppose tailor our our strategy and our approach to each area um I think the main thing for us in Gonorizo is is how do we continue to to get as much benefit out of tourism as possible for the park? How do we do tourism for conservation and not the other way around? And how do we how do we ensure that we don't get to a point where the 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 impact of tourism is greater than our purpose in, in conservation? So um I mean we we're far away from that right now but we still have to be looking into the long term and seeing where we're going with these things yeah absolutely and looking into the long term well let's go into more the medium to long term we spoke briefly on our chat yesterday about how you're going to have to approach even from the local tourism side how your model is going to have to change on the ground in the way that you you treat turnaround of guests um limiting numbers to camps, that sort of thing. What are some of the media plans that you're going to be implementing whilst you try and do a recovery period through local tourism at least? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, we are, you know, when we come out of this, it's certainly not going to be business as usual. Um, we have to, you know, we have to now be looking really at the health and safety aspects of, of tourists coming to the park um, and really protecting our staff and, and in turn the communities around the park as far as we can. So a lot of our operations are, are going to have to shift and that, that will come at a cost to us. Um, you know, we, we're going to be looking at managing our reservations, particularly in any of our service camps, that there's a gap in between bookings um, so that there's a period for uh, cleaning or decontamination of those those areas. Also, for example, our developed campsites where guests would be sharing ablution blocks, we have to now limit it to one group per, per ablution block. So it's really going to impact on on our ability to to lift our occupancies post post this pandemic. You know, so. So in that sense, although we will be able to make some recovery, it will come at additional cost to us in the park. And, you know, we've, we've got to understand that. And I think it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to understand in a way uh, because, you know, it's going to cost us more to operate coming out of this. So, you know, we, we kind of have to try and protect the park as, as much as possible and, and protect our staff. So, yeah. It's the it's pretty much the common thread through the entire COVID nineteen um, pandemic globally. I mean, aside from the conservation realm, if we were to apply the same principles of people just trying to cover a rental, and a landlord relying on a rental to continue their their cost of living, it's much the same for for the parks where you need the income from the tourists. Conservation is a business, as you've mentioned, and it does come with a price. It's something that we don't talk about too often, but um, we always talk about the funding aspect of tourism and contributing towards conservation. How much does the presence of tourists in a park contribute towards the protection of the park? Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's an element that's often, I suppose, overlooked. And, and it's part of the reason, I mean, we, we developed some camps uh, last year, uh, which we call our Mananga camps. And Mananga means a place far away in the bush. And what we specifically did was we looked at camps and the old campsites or areas in the park that were really off the beaten track and nobody really went to these areas. Um, so we developed these camps as 
one, a means of providing a direct link between our tourism and our community. So the camps are built by ladies from the community. We then train and employ those ladies in that camp. But beyond those camps being an income generator for the park, um, those camps create a presence in an area where there wasn't a presence before. And in a way, that presence really um, deters illegal activity in those areas and things like that. And so it plays a role. Obviously, um, you know, I think there's other roles that tourism plays besides uh, bringing just income to to the park. And, um, you know, it's important to recognize those roles and, and, and to really understand that that there's more to it than just than just people paying money to come to the park yeah for sure i mean it's yeah everything from the wildlife management and the destination management to the communities benefiting through employment on the periphery of the park i mean your menangas were all locally built engaging local artisans and you support vulnerable groups in purchasing materials from them so there's a far greater roll off from this than than one can anticipate um your relationship with tourism fund with tourism funding is definitely changed and we've spoken about that relationship and that redirection that you're going to be taking do you see much of a shift in the same way that you're going to be approaching donor funding in the future i wouldn't say that there would be a huge shift in our approach to to our how we try and attract donor funding i think we've got we've got a good suite of donor partners who who are really committed to the park and and the vision that we've got for the park um so i think i think you know on that front i wouldn't see us changing too much i think on the tourism side you know we've talked a bit about the the strategy that we'll be taking and things like that but I think it, you know, for us, the main focus is is also how do we how do we lower the burden on these on donors going forward? You know, over reliance on tourism is obviously a risk, as is an over reliance on on donor funding. So, I think the main thing for us is how do we strike a better balance between the two going forward, um, and how do we make the park a lot more financially sustainable going forward? So that's really our our focus. Um, you know, it's 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 easier said than done. Um, but I think I think the future does look positive. I think you know these pandemics. Well, this pandemic has given us, given people time to think about what they really value. Humans will start to think about their their own health a lot more carefully. And I think that that really speaks to what we're trying to do in conservation. You know, essentially these places are like the lungs of of the world. That's really what I think people are going to start thinking about a bit more. So Simon, when a tourist comes and stays down at Gonorrhea Zoo, what are they essentially actually paying for at the end of the day? Because it's a lot more than just a bed night. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you know, when, when a tourist comes to Gonorrhea Zoo, they're not really paying for the bed that they're sleeping in. You know, what they're paying for is to see those elephants playing in the pan and to hear that hyena or that lion calling at night while you're sitting around your campfire. That's really what, what you're paying for. Um, you're paying for the ecosystem services that a park like Gonzo produces. Um, so, you know, th- those are the main things. Obviously, you need a nice place to stay. You need that environment and and that's that's what we create. But the bigger 
I suppose the bigger picture of it is that we're really paying for conservation. Um, and in Gonorizo, your money goes directly back into the park and we reinvest it in, in the protection of the park itself. So for us, that, that's a huge role that tourists play in the park is that their support is coming directly back to us in the park. You know, there's a much more deeper, deeper meaning to what people are paying for when they come to a protected area like Gonorizo. Sure, and I think it's well basically a message to the people now that local tourism has often been overlooked in the especially in the last 10, 15 years when international travel has become a lot easier. And it's time that we I think this pandemic has given a good light for us to turn around and place value and emphasis back on what we have on our own doorstep and to start appreciating places like Conorizo once again. I think travel will be looked at very differently coming out of this. Um, and, you know, certainly for us in a place like Gonorizo, we hope to see some recovery in, in the local market um, and try and get as many Zimbabweans into a place like Gonorizo to enjoy their natural heritage and really get an opportunity to appreciate what, what we have in Zimbabwe. Absolutely. So, just as a parting message to anyone listening or watching, support local tourism where you can. Basically, your bed nights contribute to a greater conservation effort at the end of the day. And it's places like Gonorizo where every dollar counts. Simon, thanks so much for joining me on this conversation. It's been great to hear your insight. Just on parting, is there any message that you want to leave with us? You know, when it's safe to do so, uh, travel, uh, come and see these conservation areas. Um, celebrate them, support them, stay safe. Simon, thanks so much for taking the time to join me on this conversation. Yeah, you keep safe, look after yourself, look after the family, and we hope to catch up with you again soon. Once again, thank you for listening and being a part of this community. This podcast is completely self-funded, but if you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe, follow or share, or even consider becoming a patron. Have a great week, everyone, and I will catch you on the next episode of Conservation Storytelling. Cheers for now.